1: you return that I might in my
2: It is an inestimable that is too great to calculate privileges and benefits. This is a part of our family experience. all of the wonderful privileges and benefits, that are ours as being members of God's family. To name a few, for example, being a member of God's household brings us into a supportive network of our spiritual brothers and sisters. Just look around you.
0: Part of the family experience of belonging to the church are the blessings and joys that come from a close community. Some of these blessings, such as meals during a time of struggle, are measurable. As Pastor Mike shares in today's lesson, others are unknown, such as the countless prayers on your behalf. It is a blessing to share with others, which means at times you must allow others to bless you. Don't be so full of yourself to not allow others to serve you during a time of need. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he begins his message, Images of the Church
1: what you said, you return, that I might in my Father's house.
2: We're in Ephesians chapter 2. And where we left off last time would be in verse 19. And our text name is found in verses 19 through 22. And the title of this message is Images of the Church. Images of the Church. So with that said, let's go ahead and read that text of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Now therefore, and whenever you see a wherefore or a therefore, what does that suggest? The writer is drawing a conclusion, right? Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. He's particularly thinking about Gentiles who have been grafted in to the family of God. No longer was God exclusively ministering to and dealing with the nation of Israel. But now he's broadened and widened his approach to include the Gentiles. And so now, therefore, you... Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit, fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So once again, this message, images of the church. Now, over the last couple of weeks, everything that's been recorded is actually leading up to, building towards a consideration of the church, which is a major theme of the book here of Ephesus, or the book of Ephesians. Notice in chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, in he, that is God the Father, in context, put all things under his feet, his feet would be a reference to Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And so everything has been building to a full treatment of this subject. Now, here in our text, verses 19 through 22, we have three great biblical images or pictures relating to what the church is and how the church functions. Let me give you a quick, brief outline. The church is, first of all, as is suggested, verses 19 through 22, first of all, it is considered, or we should consider it, as a kingdom. Secondly, as a family. And then thirdly, as a building or a temple. So let's take them now in that order. So first of all, we want to consider the church from the angle and the consideration of it being a part of God's kingdom. Let's go back to our text. Notice in verse 19, what does it say? Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And so the idea is that we've now entered into God's kingdom. And what a rich field this first picture Unfolds. You know, this kingdom is something that is referred to. If you think about it, that is God's kingdom, both in the Old and New Testament alike. In the New Testament, we think of the Old Testament theocracy. What is a theocracy? You've probably heard that word used before. Theocracy is basically a people who are solely, exclusively ruled by God. You see, in the beginnings, that was God's plan. That was God's original intention. It was never God's plan for a king to be placed to rule over his people, Israel. But you know what? That was Israel's desire. You know, they looked around them and they saw the other nations that surrounded them with their kings and their leaders. And so they asked God, they requested that God would uh, raise up a king for them. Up until that time, you know, from the time of Moses to the election of Saul, who was the first king over Israel... Israel was ruled as a theocracy, that it was solely ruled by God. And so in the Old Testament, when we think of the Old Testament theocracy, in which God was the literal head of the earthly Jewish state. But then in the New Testament, for example, we think of the preaching of John the Baptist. Like, for example, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 3, and verse 2, when he's calling all men. Remember, his, his ministry was that of not only being the forerunner of Christ to prepare the way, but he was also calling people to repentance. And so in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 3, and verse 2, he put it this way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is at nigh. Or Jesus himself declaring in Luke's Gospel in chapter 17 and verse 21, he said the kingdom of God is within you. Also think about this. We pray for the coming of that kingdom each time we recite the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6 and verse 10, we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in both the Old and New Testament, right, we have references to God's kingdom. Okay, so what are we talking about when we use that term, God's kingdom? What are we talking about? What does it look like? Well, What is it all about? Basically, the kingdom of God is where God rules, where God prevails. And as a result, those who confess God's kingship, who invite him to be king over their lives, are comforted in the midst of this world's chaotic conflicts and changes. And how important it is to to live in this present world to know God you know, with all of the variables, with all of the crazy things that are going on. You know, one of the worst places to be, remember in one of our previous studies, here in the same chapter, in chapter 2, in verse 12, it says that at the time you were without Christ, that is, before your conversion experience, before you were born again, before you made a decision for Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you are strangers from the covenants of promise, you know, all of the promises that God has made in both the Old and New Testament, having no hope without God in the world. Listen, let me tell you something. That's the worst place to be. Could you imagine? I mean, who do you appeal to when things go awry, when things go wrong? You know, one of the perks and blessings about being a child of God, being a, a member of God's kingdom is that In times like that, we can, in fact, appeal unto God for help, right? And provision, for healing, for whatever. You fill in the the blank. Again, let me give you that description one more time. Definition. The kingdom of God is where God rules, where God prevails, and as a result, those who confess God's kingship are comforted in the midst of this world's chaotic conflicts and changes. But then also, the kingdom is also where God rules in individual minds and hearts. You know, Paul put it this way, describing the internal aspects of this kingdom in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. He says that kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so presently, the kingdom comes whenever the righteousness, peace, and joy of Jesus enters an individual, an individual's life, and transforms that life and brings spiritual blessings. And listen, gang, it is a kingdom like no other kingdom. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken or destroyed. And so the first picture that's being painted and presented to us here in our text of Scripture is that of the church, is a kingdom. Now, the second image, let's go back to our text of the church, is that of a family. If you're taking notes, write that down. Notice in verse 19, let's go back to verse 19 again. Notice in the latter part of verse 19, Paul puts it this way as it relates to family. He says, "In members of God's household. That's who we've become. We are members of God's household or family. Now, how do we become members of that family? Well, listen. Even as we were born into our natural families, our moms and dads, right? We had to be born again to be born into God's family. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, that is not some formal relationship. It's not some club. It's not some association. It's family. Think about that. And family ties are more intimate, and the bonds are tighter. Now, that's the kind of a relationship that we have with God. We're members of his family. He is our father. We are his kids. Now, under this heading, family, I want to point out a couple of things. The first of which is within the family, there is continuity. There is similarities of nature. Now, isn't that true? I want you to think about that. Naturally speaking, think about your own family, your mom, your dad, your siblings, your brothers and sisters. Think about this, the life of a child in a family. It's not the same life as the life of the father or the mother, but it comes from them, and it is like theirs. We speak of a genetic relationship in which certain characteristics of parents are passed along to their children. Like if the parents are tall, usually the children who are born to those parents will be tall also. And that isn't always true, but more times than not. Or how about the color of their skin? Or how about the color of their eyes? Or their hair? Or certain mannerisms? You've heard the expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? It's so very, very true think about your own family and your own kids and and I think about my dad and my mom and I possess some of the same mannerisms uh personality quirks that they had as well but now my kids uh, you know have some of the same things and you know in fact my kids blame me for a lot of the things that they do that they shouldn't do well you know particularly patient because I, to be honest with you, I'm not really patient I'm working on that I pray God you know teach me to be patient but uh You know, some of my children will say, well, I'm not patient because dad's not patient. So they blame me for it. I don't know. But it's so very, very true. The apples don't fall far from the trees. Now, with that said, using that example, this is exactly why there must be holiness in the church. Remember what we're talking about. There needs to be this continuity amongst the family. God is holy And thus, the children of God must be growing in holiness as well. And if not, they show that they are not truly a child of God. So, in this family, there must be a similarity of nature. And when I think about God, one of the, you know, uh, putting together a list of the nature of God, what he looks like, some of the characters right at the very top of the list, God is a holy God. The next point that I want to draw your attention to, that I want to address under this heading of family is this. It is an inestimable that is too great to calculate privileges and benefits. This is a part of our family experience, all of the wonderful privileges and benefits that are ours as being members of God's family. To name a few, for example, being a member of God's household brings us into a supportive network of our spiritual brothers and sisters. Just look around you, right? Think about it, assisting you. You know, how many of us have, you know, uh, have experienced that for ourselves first-handedly? We've been assisted by our brothers and sisters. God has worked through your brothers and sisters to assist you, encouraging you, exhorting you, praying for you. It gives us a share in the oversight, fellowship, and prayers of the church. These are just some of the benefits. It gives us a right to the sacraments. Communion, for example, and the sacrament of marriage. It gives us a place in God's plan. Now, we will further develop this idea in our next point in just a moment, so hang in there. But most importantly, above everything else, think about this, being a member of God's family, it gives us access to God as our Father, which means we can come to Him in prayer anytime with a need and a request and be assured He hears and receives us and answers out of His mercy and according to His own pleasing and perfect will. Why? Because you're a child of God. You are a member of His family. Listen, let me tell you something no matter what I was doing, no matter how busy I ever was, when one of my kids, you know, strolled into the room, and it didn't matter what I was doing, who I was speaking to, the world stopped at that moment when my kid had tears in his eyes and jumped up into my lap and said, Daddy, I need this or that or I need help. The world just stopped so that I would be able to minister to my son or my daughter's needs. Multiply that by a million. You know, that's the kind of a relationship that we have with God as our Father. You're a child of God, a member of His family. Now, so that's the second picture that's painted here for us the church. The first, once again, that of a kingdom. The second is that of a family. The third and final picture that's painted for us is that of a building. The church is likened unto a building, or more accurately, a temple. Let's go back to our text. Let's read verses 20 through 22 once again. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God In the Spirit. Now, as Paul develops, this image has several important aspects that I want to draw your attention to. First of all, notice he mentions the foundation. Go back to verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So he draws our attention to the foundation. Now, I want you to think about the foundation. How important is the foundation of of a building? a temple, or a church. I mean, the strength and durability of a building rests upon its foundation. And that is also true of the church as well. You see, this is so important. It's so revealing that the apostle begins his discussion by reference to this foundation. And what was the foundation that the church was built upon? Well, we are told here in verse 20, it was the apostles and the prophets. Now, at first glance, this might be misleading to some of us, so we need to understand it in context. Listen, don't be confused here. Remember, the apostles and the prophets, the church wasn't built upon the apostles and the prophets. It was built upon the person of Jesus Christ, you see. It's the apostles and prophets were the appointed, inspired witnesses of Christ, you see. They testified to him that he was the foundation of the church. Like, for example, let me give you a couple of cross references. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 16 and verse 18, now i got to set this up for you so that you'll understand it, to make the point. I'm going to go a long way here to make this point, but there was some confusion about the identity of who Christ was. So Jesus got together with some of his disciples, and he asked them the question, who do you say that I am? And some of them responded, well, uh, some say that you're Elijah the prophet. Some of you have said that you are John the Baptist who has come back to life. Others say that you are the prophet Jeremiah. And then he turns to Peter. I don't know why he turned to Peter, but finally Peter got it right, right? So many times Peter got it wrong. But anyway, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded by inspiration, only way that you can explain this is by putting the Holy Spirit behind what Peter said. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responded and he says, Upon this rock, the cornerstone, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock? What foundation? Thou art the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the of the living God. How can people get this wrong? When they think that He, would, Jesus was referring to Peter as the rock that he was going to build the church upon, like Peter was going to become the first pope or something like that. How crazy is that interpretation of that verse of scripture? It's, it's totally out of context. And so anyway, Jesus, the foundational stone, the foundation that the church is built upon is the revealed truth of God centering in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's the gospel message. And listen, where this is present, where the gospel is being taught, and we pride ourselves, if I can use that word pride, we pride ourselves in doing exactly that and being teachers of God's word, his gospel. Where this is present, where the gospel is being taught, it lends itself to the church being blessed. But not only being blessed, but it provides an opportunity for Christ to manifest Himself amongst His people. Notice, aren't we told exactly that in verse 22? Go back to our text. In verse 22, it says, together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. What is he talking about? He's talking about this building. He's talking about this loft, if you will, more you know more accurately. This is a place where God can manifest himself, where Jesus can manifest himself to us through the study and the teaching of the Word of God. How precious is that? It doesn't matter the size of the room, the decor of the room, how ornate the room might be. It doesn't matter how many people are in the room, whether there are many or few where the gospel is being taught it provides an opportunity and it lends itself for Christ to reveal himself to his people. Is there anything
1: more precious than that, folks? In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long.
0: As we study the book of Ephesians together, we pray it has encouraged you to restore relationships. Unity can be such a hard task to accomplish, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, unity binds us together in Jesus. If there's someone in your life that you need to reach out to today, know we are praying both for you and for them. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at HarvestNYC.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening, so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more, right here on In My Father's House. Where I love to
1: be oh my heart, not be troubled.